Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be together this morning. My name is Joel Fair, and I'm an elder at Cross Point Coast. And this morning, we have the unique privilege and gift to gather together uh, virtually um, and to see each other's face. You get to see my face and hear my voice. And, uh, we've had this opportunity over the last couple of weeks, even though uh, the circumstances are that we're quarantined, that we're separate. If that had happened at any other time, um, we would not have been able to, to gather together like this. We wouldn't have the technology. We wouldn't have the internet and the communication apps and skills and ways to go about it. So I've just been uh, overwhelmed with gratitude that, that this is happening now, where even though we're separated, um, we can still be together. So I just thank God for that gift. This morning, we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. We've already read it together. I pray that you would have your Bibles open, ready to follow along as we jump back into our sermon series, The Light of the Gospel. It's the, the series that we have where we've been walking through Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. And it has been a sweet gift during this time. Um, we two weeks ago we were in the end of Second Corinthians chapter five. Jeremiah was uh, preaching that, and we saw the the last verse where it says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of of Christ. What a what a beautiful passage! What a joy to be able to go through together, and then. We took a week off to celebrate Easter, and again, we saw, uh, particularly on Good Friday, that Jesus became sin on our behalf. He was the perfect sacrifice, the ransom for our sins, and so we rejoiced and celebrated that, and Easter Sunday, we celebrated his resurrection. And so, the story has just, just been the seamless continuance of the glory of God, and it's beautiful, and we're going to jump back in today in these two verses. And so I'm glad that you're with us. If this is maybe your first time uh, being part of Cross Point Coast, we're glad that you're here today. Um, I believe that God's word is sufficient for us. And so I pray uh, now that he would guide us in his word. So let's pray together for a moment. Lord Jesus, you're good. You're kind. You're gracious to us. God, you've given us uh, everything that we need for life, for righteousness, for uh, joy, hope, peace. Lord, all of the things that we desperately need, you've, you've provided. And so we rejoice in that. I pray that today you would give us eyes to see, eyes to see in your word, the face of Jesus the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, that we'd have ears to hear, ears to hear your call. As you speak the truth, uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. Lord, the gift of faith to be able to believe your word to be true and that out of that truth would spring joy, peace, comfort, and hope. Not for, not for us so that we can just be a comfortable people, but for you so that you could be a God who's glorified 
in all of our words and actions and deeds. God, I pray that you would do this today. Trust you for these things, Lord. We, we know that you hear our prayer because you delight in making yourself known. And so it's your will. And so we're praying your will and we're asking for your will to be done. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse uh, one of chapter six. It says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Well, right off the bat, we have a couple questions. What does it mean working together with him? Who's, who's him? And who's the we? So to set the context, the him is the same him that was in verse 21 and verse 20 and 21 of chapter five. It's Christ. It's the one who has borne sin and become sin on our behalf. So working together with him, with Christ. Well, how do, how do we, the church, work together with Christ? Hasn't he done all of the work? What I'd love for us to do is, is right off the bat, uh, turn to another passage of scripture. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. And uh, we're just going to read one verse there this time, but we're going to come back to this passage. This is Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, and he's addressing the divisions in the church and how there's become factions that are following different apostles. And, and so they're arguing about who's, who's right, who's better. And Paul's calling all of them to say, hey, we, we all are workers in God's kingdom. And, and actually in verse 9, it says, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Well, that's the we in our chapter. So we in our, our passage in 2 Corinthians 6. We are God's fellow workers. We're working together with God for the proclamation of his gospel. We don't bring anything to the work. The work has already been done. It's been completed. We've read that. We've seen the work of Jesus. It says that the gospel is, is Jesus came to the, to the world and lived. And he died a sinner's death. But then he was raised to new life. And then he was ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the work that's been done. Now the implications of that gospel are beautiful and vast. And so we see that, but... But the work has been done by Jesus. So put your finger in that passage and let's, in 1 Corinthians 3, and let's go back and look at 2 Corinthians 6. Working together with him then. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So this, this work, the work was done by Jesus. The grace of God was purchased for us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has reconciled us to the Father, a sinful people that were rebellious. And in our rebellion, we owed a, a, a death. Our sin owed a death. And so Jesus came and lived a perfect life and was completely human. And he died 
a, a criminal's death on a cross in our place. And so Jesus paid that debt on our behalf. And so this is the gospel and the grace of God. And how has this grace come to us? What well, says it in the passage? It says we receive the grace of God. We've become recipients of his unmerited favor. It's been bestowed on us. It's been put on us. And Ephesians 1.8 says that the grace has been lavished. The grace of God has been lavished on us. When I hear lavished, I think uh, just poured out excess. Beautiful. Lavished on us. It's a sufficient grace according to 2 Corinthians 12.9. His grace is sufficient for me. And so this grace that we've received and that we are receiving as it's worked out in our lives is a sufficient grace. It's the work of Jesus on our behalf. It's the fruit of the gospel, fruit of the work of Jesus for his church, those he has redeemed. That's the grace of God. And the second half of verse one says that as co-laborers, we ask and appeal to you, not to receive this grace of God in vain. Well, there's a couple thoughts on what it means that the grace of God could somehow be uh, received in vain. One of the thoughts uh, is that there are uh, people in the church at Corinth that have never heard this good news. They never... um, experienced it and so he's he's calling them now as they as they've heard Jesus bore sin on your behalf he who knew no sin became sin for you and so that he's crying out that they would not not let this fall on deaf ears that they would receive the grace of God that he's preaching now but there's another thought that some of those in Corinth had believed the gospel for the forgiveness of sins that it offered. And so they had this idea and they had even a true confession that Jesus was their savior and they were looking forward to eternal life with him. And for these folks, the grace of God would have worked, but is not working. So it was going to work for their salvation at, at judgment but it was not necessarily working into their everyday life to God's glory. They have believed unto salvation. Turn back to the place you marked earlier in 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to continue to read, but we're going to pick up verse 10. It says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, 
Paul's words here. There's, there's a building that's going on. There's a work of grace that's being done. And, and it's going to happen. It's going to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it will survive. And even some will be rewarded upon the day of judgment. But there will also be a work that will be burned up, even though the person will be saved. And this is the grace of God in vain. It's it's the the fact that there's an opportunity for grace to be more than just salvation for the believer. What a what a gift. We have one other longer passage I want to look at. So stay in First Corinthians and turn to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Paul's going to continue to explain what he means. That the, that the grace of God would not come to us in vain, not be received in vain. It says, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read 1 through 4, paraphrase the middle couple of verses, and then we'll pick it up again in verse 10. So follow along with me. Take some notes in your Bible. You know, Tie these back to 2 Corinthians 6 as we, as we look at the grace of God. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Verses 5 through 9 talk about Jesus coming and appearing to Peter and the, the other disciples, and then how he appeared to five over 500 witnesses, and then how last of all he appeared to Paul, and, and Paul says that he didn't deserve it, and yet God showed himself to him. And so in verse 10 he says, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. That's pretty amazing. Paul defining what it looks like for the grace of God to be received not in vain. It says that it spurred him on to work, to labor. And it was a labor of grace, and it was the grace of God actually doing that labor in him. According to Paul, there's a work of grace that we get to partner in that brings glory to God. It is the work of grace that penetrates into our thought processes, our attitudes, our emotions, our decision-making, our speech, our generosity, even our relationships. Every aspect of our lives changes. And as our lives change and they are transformed by grace, they point to Jesus. They bring glory to God and salvation to our families and our friends because they see a change. They see an outworking of this grace in our lives. And so the grace of God is not in vain. The fullness of the gospel is worked out and, and seen. The, the, the fullness of the implications of the gospel are seen in our lives. It's more full and more complete because God is more glorified. It's that 2 Corinthians 5.15 that we read a couple weeks ago that we 
no longer are living for ourselves, but we're living instead for the one who died for our sake. We live a generous life of gratitude poured out because poured out for the one who lavished us with his grace. Not to gain salvation because that's done. Not out of duty or uh, obligatory obedience. No, it's out of worshipful obedience, out of praise, so that grace would abound in our lives to the glory of God. That's the, that's the work, that's the grace of God being received, not in vain. None of it's wasted. None of it's incomplete. Oh, that we would receive the grace of God, not in vain. Let's continue to look at the second verse of our passage. Read with me. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. This is from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. And and the prophecy of Isaiah describes the coming servant of the Lord, the Messiah, who will bring restoration to Israel. You see, the, the, the whole Bible is this beautiful connected story of what God is doing in a people Israel that, that he's called to be his own possession and then and then how he he opens beyond Israel and, and draws in the Gentiles and, and Jesus comes and he is the Messiah that rescues Israel and he's the Messiah that saves. And so Paul is making that connection here. That chapter in Isaiah ends with with this. It says, then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Paul's telling the church in Corinth that they're in a season of grace. Christ, the Messiah, has come and completed the work of the gospel, the work of redemption on behalf of his people. And he's warned them that he will come again to judge the nations. And he's heard the cry of his people, and he condescended, he He became man, became flesh, fully man, to help them and to save them. Philip Hughes, in his New International Commentary on the New Testament, uh, where he writes on 2 Corinthians, says this about our passage. He says, Paul's thoughts must be interpreted in accordance with the consistent viewpoint of Scripture, that the gospel era is a season acceptable to God, because it is the day of salvation appointed by him. The acceptability of this time is dependent not on the uncertainties of human nature, but on the firm decree and gracious activity of Almighty God. The fact that it is God's appointed period of grace places man in a position of favor and opportunity, which is at the same time a position of answerability. Not only is he called upon to be reconciled to God, but he is also to attend to it that he does not receive God's grace in vain. See, God is sovereign and he's already ordained our lives in his divine providence. And yet we have the opportunity to honor him, to be co-workers with him for his glory. Despite his knowing what we will do with this time, he's graciously given to us. We 
we're going to have to answer for it. There will come a, a judgment day. And so Paul's expressing by quoting this Old Testament passage that, that now is that time. Christ has come, the Messiah has come, and he has rescued the people. And so what does he do? Continuing on the second half of the verse, it says, Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul's saying, behold, now is that time. That time that Isaiah pointed to, it's here. It's come in the fullness of Christ. Grace is available. Today is that day. If you hear the call of Christ today, then you're experiencing the favor of God. What could be more favorable than unmerited grace? Today is the day of salvation. The air that we're breathing is a gift. Often we think that it's our right, and yet we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next hour, the next moment. So let's not take it for granted or waste it. Not promised anymore. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Paul's call to the Corinthian church is the same one that we have for each other today. Behold. Not a simple look, not a glance, but a behold, a look with wonder and praise and be in awe of who he is. Behold Christ. Look at what he's done. Sit in it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Let it affect you. Let it change the way that you process everything. May it be our first priority as we behold who he is. Where is saying earlier? Come and behold him. Hmm. Let us behold Christ together. Let's see Jesus. See how he has redeemed the people and graced them with his righteousness. Let that truth sink deep into the marrow of our soul. May, we, may it just rest there. May that be the reward that we have. Not in heaven at the end of life, but now that we would receive the reward of knowing our Savior, of knowing that no height or depth or can separate us from the love of God, that nothing can separate us from Him. Let's press in to beholding That's our reward. The reward in knowing that we're reconciled to him. And if you, sinner, are reconciled to God, then your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, they too can be reconciled to God. And so that should stir in us the desire to proclaim, to partner with, to, to be co-workers with Christ, to declare the glories of God. To proclaim his excellency. Behold Jesus. And as we behold him, we call others to behold him. We say, behold, look at what grace has been lavished on us. So today, if you are hearing this for the first time, behold, rejoice. 
This is good news. This is, this is the best news you'll ever hear. And if you've heard this before, I pray that God would again stir your heart with awe and with wonder that you would behold Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the one who came and bore sin on your behalf, died and was raised, miraculously raised to life again. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And he, he's, his desire is that we would know him and that we'd be in awe of him. And that awe would just capture our hearts and our minds and our thoughts to where we would declare his glory to see those around us. We would say, behold. As we behold Jesus, um, our hearts are changed. Our priorities are realigned. Pray that as we behold Jesus, that our song would be louder. That our praise would be truer and that our lives would be richer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the grace of God that has been showered upon us. Lavished upon us, Lord. We thank you that uh, it, it's not in vain, that it's working desire to be, to obey, to, to love, to follow your commands. God, I pray that that would be an encouragement today to your people. God, and some of us are, uh, are struggling with this, with this unique time and place and feeling separated. God, in the last weeks have seen long. And yet Paul, the writer of this, suffered too, Lord. He, he experienced imprisonment that was longer than, than the weeks that I've experienced. And, and yet somehow the truth caused him to say, behold, Look to Jesus, the rescuer, the redeemer. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to, to joy. Utter joy, Lord, in the midst of, of circumstances. Lord, I know that there's those that are sick, uh, physically sick. And, and Lord, I pray that you would heal God, but, but more than that, I pray that they would have joy in the midst of the suffering, sickness. Lord, I pray that you would do a work that only you can do and that, that as the grace of God works into our hearts and into our minds, that those around us would see it and they would glorify God. God, we thank you so much for the encouragement of your word. We love you and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, every week um, we have the opportunity, normally when we gather together physically, to take the Lord's Supper. And uh, we can't do that currently. We can't do that together 
And so we are doing it worshipfully. We're doing it spiritually. We're remembering, just like we would if we were actually taking the cup and the bread and remembering, we, we can still remember. And so I want to read 1 Corinthians 11, 23, and just uh, even though we won't be actually taking the elements together, I pray that we remember what Christ has done. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I pray that our remembering would proclaim the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that that would stir in us worship as we behold Jesus and remember who he is. Let's continue to sing together and worship him because he's worthy of our awe and our praise. I pray that he would capture our hearts again.